Canada establish a single single player <laughs> I can't read single payer national pharmacare program. So that will be once again Sandra Azokar will be here next Thursday to have that discussion. And a reminder that um, all of the upcoming sessions are listed on our SACPA website as well as um, you know our our archives of previous sessions can be watched and listened to there. Um, there is a suggestion box available, I believe, at this door. Yeah. yeah if you have any um, recommendations for further topics you'd like to hear on a Thursday afternoon. Um, so just to let you know that over here to my left is the microphone. If you have questions, we'd like to remind you um, that we are talking about the choice before Albertans in 2019 and that um, if you can keep the commentary to a minimal, ask your question, then once you've asked your question, stated your name and asked your question, if you can return to your seat while the Honourable Shannon Phillips answers your question, that would be fantastic. So everybody, a round of applause as we welcome Shannon back. Okay. Okay. Hi. Henning Wendell here. Uh, hi, Shannon. Thank you for a great fact-filled uh, presentation. It was uh, exhilarating, actually. Many of you haven't received the newspaper, I understand, today. We managed to. We live outside of town and probably got it before the presses went down. This is the preamble, not my question. <laughs> but it's to the point because we have the Minister of Climate Change in front of us. Why the Lethbridge Herald has as guest column two known de deniers of anthropogenic climate change as is incredible. <laughs> My question to you, though, is in connection with the opioid crisis and the plans, the plans of the, uh, your government, which has just been recently announced to provide some of these wraparound services. What happens if you don't get in? to those services? Sure. Um, okay, so uh, uh, in question period, Hans Henning, I'll just tell you that the preamble has to be connected to the main question or else it's ruled out of order by the speaker. <laughs> but uh, uh, I'll, uh, I'll answer both questions. Uh, uh, so um, first of all, there, are, there is not two sides. Uh, there is no debate in climate change. Uh, climate change is real. It is urgent. Uh, and uh, the scientific consensus is that uh, 1.5 degrees warming, uh, which we are well on track uh, towards, we are at 1.1-ish, uh, uh, last four years, the hottest years on record, uh, I will have uh, a beginning to have uh, a catastrophic consequences for our infrastructure, for our, uh, uh, severe weather events, uh, for biodiversity, for our food supply. Um, and uh, uh, so that is, uh, uh, the question before us is not uh, uh, whether we're going to do something about climate change, the question is what are we going to do uh, about climate change. Uh, uh, and that is, um, uh, that is the greatest challenge that has ever faced humanity. Uh, and uh, many of these pe uh, people in this room will not have to deal <laughs> with the consequences uh, by mid-century, but my children will and your grandchildren will, and my grandchildren will. Uh, and uh, I think it's coming a lot faster, potentially, than uh, many of us appreciate, so it may be, even be 
in our lifetimes. Uh, well, we know that we are already responding to many of the uh, uh, realities of climate change now, not the least of which is frequent and severe weather events that are very, very expensive. Uh, three of the most expensive ones uh, in Canadian history have happened here in Alberta uh, in uh, 2011 with the Slave Lake Fire, 2013 with the uh, uh, Calgary Flood, and 2016 with the uh, Fort McMurray Fire, which are not directly attributable. There isn't a, a straight line. Uh, the science uh, I, I doesn't say that, but what the science does say uh, is that frequent and severe weather events, uh, including the drying of the boreal and increased wildfire risk, those kinds of things, are associated with the effects of climate change. So it's important to be clear on that. Uh, around uh, the opioid crisis, uh, I can only uh, speak for uh, what uh, we are doing uh, uh, and infer from the vague statements of others. Uh, and so what we are doing is in, uh, we have stabilized our health care uh, uh, budgets. We've invested in housing across the, the province of various kinds. Uh, we will continue to do that uh, uh, with some substantial uh, uh, commitments on both sides in terms of both uh, uh, capital infrastructure and operating dollars in the health care system and uh, 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 new capital investments over time uh, in housing as well in this uh, community and in others. Uh, what we've heard uh, uh, from, uh, from the Conservatives, what they are offering, uh, is 20% cuts. We have variously heard. We have heard uh, uh, certainly a number of statements that um, uh, a treatment uh, for the opioid uh, uh, crisis is uh, not a priority. Um, and uh, uh, so I, I think that's what we can look forward to as an approach uh, that is uh, relatively tone deaf in terms of how the, what the evidence, the healthcare evidence tells us about how to treat a drug crisis that we have never seen before in terms of the potency of these drugs, uh, ability to carry them across borders, get them through the mail system, all of those things. It's much, much different than any, uh, uh, any previous uh, highly addictive substance. Uh, synthetic opioids are uh, uh, incredible challenge for, for law enforcement, for border officials, uh, and uh, uh, to respond to. Uh, the other thing that's really important to remember is uh, who is uh, uh, the who are the people who are at the center of this crisis? Who is becoming addicted to these substances? It is not necessarily just street involved or homeless people. It is also we are noticing a massive uh, uh, crisis in in young men under 30, for example, uh, uh, who uh, 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 in particular, but it can happen to anyone. Uh, we had our deputy speaker Debbie Jabour, whose daughter. Uh, she stood up in the, in the House of, uh, uh, in our legislature and delivered a speech about the struggles her daughter had. And her daughter uh, uh, was the victim of an uh, accidental overdose as well. It can happen to anyone. There are families across this province who are struggling to figure out ways to help their loved one. Uh, and uh, we can't turn our backs on that, or at least I won't. Uh, I, I think that uh, a government's primary responsibility is public health and public safety. Uh, and uh, uh, we need to respond to some of those 21st century realities as they present themselves, not stick our fingers in our ear and pretend they don't, they don't exist. Hi, Shannon. Uh, Tom Moffat here. I was wondering if you might be able to give us an update on the uh, PACE program, the uh, Property Assessed Clean Energy Program that the Alberta NDP introduced last year. 
Sure, that's a great question. So let's get into the weeds of climate policy, everybody, uh, and, uh, and energy efficiency. Uh, come with me now, it'll be fun. Uh, so um, in other jurisdictions, we see one of the ways that we finance uh, uh, energy efficiency uh, upgrades to our homes or to our businesses, uh, uh, certainly throughout the United States, is by uh, essentially how it works is uh, 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 taking out a loan on your property taxes or adding uh, uh, to your property taxes. It's kind of like a, a property improvement tax in the commercial sector, except it's voluntary. And how that works is you, uh, uh, you put the price of your solar panels uh, uh, paid back through your property taxes uh, over the life of those uh, uh, with that improvement. It doesn't have to be uh, solar panels, though. Uh, it can be things like uh, uh, furnaces or other stuff like that. Uh, and uh, what it means is, is that it takes away the upfront cost, right? Uh, so property assessed clean energy loans uh, are something that we took a, a good long look at, um, not just in the original uh, climate advice, but also in a subsequent uh, expert panel we had on energy efficiency. And we found that it made uh, good sense for Alberta and Albertans, it's certainly for on the residential side, taking away that ten or $12,000 uh, upfront cost if you want uh, solar panels, depending on your system and so on. Uh, uh, but also uh, in a big way on the commercial side uh, uh, for uh, 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 people up in the, uh, uh, for landlords or people up in the industrial park, et cetera. So uh, uh, what we did was we brought in legislation last fall uh, and uh, just trying to remember, it's been a busy legislative agenda. Uh, and, uh, I, and then we developed the regulations. We did a bunch of more uh, consultation with both financial services sector, uh, realtors, other folks who would uh, uh, be affected by this, obviously the cities, towns, uh, rural municipalities of various kinds. And what we uh, have now is a system whereby it's voluntary. So um, citizens can petition their municipalities to put a bylaw in place that enables this. And then what will happen is uh, those PACE loans are administered by our energy efficiency agency so that municipalities didn't have to add another uh, layer of, of administration. We could do it uniformly across the province. And smaller places who maybe didn't have that internal capacity would still be able to avail themselves of the program. Uh, and uh, so we've, we've moved ahead, we've got the regulations uh, moved forward, uh, and uh, we're working with the cities now on how they uh, uh, pass their bylaws. I don't know the state of uh, uh, Lethbridge, I know the city of Lethbridge, when we first announced this, was uh, interested in it. I, I just haven't kept up in terms of where they're at with their bylaw process. But any of you, as citizens of this uh, city, can petition them for that bylaw if that work hasn't been done yet. Uh, and uh, uh, we're working with them to make sure that we've got all the, uh, the administrative pieces within the agency ready to go for this program. And then, uh, uh, yeah, you go and get a property assessed clean energy loan for uh, uh, your uh, solar panels, for uh, some other energy efficiency improvements. Uh, in the commercial sector, you uh, uh, may also see this for uh, other uh, energy efficiency process uh, uh, type uh, improvements that, uh, that people can do, depending on um, how the cities uh, structure their bylaws. So, that is the update on that. It it's, uh, takes place in a number of different U.S. states. Uh, uh, Toronto and Halifax also have uh, PACE-ish programs. Um, and uh, uh, what we wanted to do was give municipalities the option of pursuing it. Uh, if they're not interested, that's fine. Uh, but as Albertans learn more about it, I think uh, they will be quite interested in it because it saves you having to, if you don't have that money at the ready, 
going and getting a line of credit or, or whatever. It's a much uh, a more secure way of, uh, of paying back those costs over time. Thank you very much for your presentation. My name is Lori Schultz. I have two questions, but uh, if I'm allowed, one should hopefully just be a quick number question. Would that be okay? Um, my first question is just with respect to the building or renovation of schools and school infrastructure. Could you just give me the, the uh, numbers of schools or uh, renovations made prior to the NDP coming in and post? Uh, NDP. I'm not sure if I can do the, that uh, precisely. I do know that there were a number of school projects in the queue that just mm -hmm. never got funded under the right. previous government. And when we came in, we said, okay, uh, we're going to take care of that plus uh, whatever the boards had on their uh, lists and then uh, start to make a plan going forward. Uh, and so that's, yeah, 244 other modernizations or new builds uh, since 2015. Okay, thank um, you. But uh, uh, what I can say is that uh, there was a massive backlog in school infrastructure, massive. Uh, I remember canvassing uh, uh, in and around GS Lakey in uh, uh, 2015 uh, on the west side and hearing from both parents and teachers at that time just how astonishingly over capacity that middle school was by you know like a couple hundred students. It was affecting uh, a workplace uh, for teachers and it was affecting learning outcomes for kids. They were just stacked cheek by jowl. Uh, and uh, uh, that, that situation replicated itself, and particularly in growing communities where we have a, long, a lot of young families, so in places like uh, uh, Red Deer, outskirts of Edmonton, some of these places where uh, uh, we're seeing an explosion in young families everywhere across the province. Okay, thank you. And my second question, <clears throat> I'll try to articulate this because I'm I'm asking for some information to know more about it. With respect to the third party fundraising, um, Alberta supports, uh, oh gosh, I can't, I'm not Like third sure. party advertisers and yes. those kinds of people? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I understand that any, anybody who donates to um, a political party or um, anybody who is a lobbyist, I as an Albertan, would be able to access information as to who those individuals or corporations are. Um, but recently, I think the last couple of months, there was a, a four-page backer on the Lethbridge Herald, I think it was, um, and I'm sorry, it, the name escapes me, Shaping Alberta or mm -hmm. something, uh, and also the whole um, dealership, motor dealerships. Mm -hmm. So I guess as a consumer, uh, and a voter, I'm curious as to how I would go about learning who the dealerships are or who is the shaping Alberta sure. so that I can make decisions, personal decisions. Sure, so that particular political action committee spent a bunch of money uh, uh, before uh, December 1st throughout the province. Uh, and uh, when they are, uh, uh, the donors to that particular organization were disclosed through the legislation, it was revealed that a number of them were uh, 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 motor vehicle dealers. Uh, and then uh, out came a letter that was uh, from the motor vehicle dealers uh, that indicated that a certain number of uh, assurances and promises had been made to them about the contents of the conservative platform. Uh, and so here we have a very clear case of, uh, uh, of 
of uh, people with deep pockets uh, buying their way into a platform and a set of public policy proposals which included repealing our consumer protection uh, 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 legislation that we had put in place to make sure that we were protecting people from unscrupulous uh, uh, activities uh, in that particular industry. So uh, we have done a lot of consumer protection things, by the way, that uh, I, I think uh, haven't necessarily made the headlines that they should. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, I think what that does is for the vast majority of, of operators out there, motor vehicle dealers included, it uh, uh, levels the playing field so that the, the odd shysters out there aren't getting an unfair competitive advantage, right? Anyway, so that happened. Now, all of that is disclosed, and it's online, too, of who those folks are, both locally and across the province. Uh, I know some people in this room made phone calls to their uh, 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 dealerships the day that that, was, uh, 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 those, that list was disclosed, because they were unhappy. Now, uh, they were conforming to the rules insofar as they were spending their money according to the rules. Whether there was uh, a collusion with a, pol a particular political party and a sort of cash for access in terms of the contents of one's platform remains an open question. Um, so uh, uh, that is, I think, as a subject of investigation of some time, or of some kind. But you're right that uh, all political donations are disclosed over 250. 250. Uh, I always I, I want to check it, <laughs> but uh, uh, so there's a list about anyone who's ever uh, uh, donated to us, the UCP, the Alberta Party, the Liberals, whoever, uh, over 250, uh, and the maximum is 4,000. Right, so it used to be when uh, our bill won, our very first piece of legislation was when we came in as we banned corporate and union donations uh, and we established a, a, a maximum. It used to be 15,000 and it was a total wild west. Right, uh, anybody could give it and you would go down the list of PCs and it would just be a, you know, a bunch of companies and not a whole lot of individuals and uh, uh, we think that individuals vote and individuals should uh, fund political parties and, they should, and, and political parties should be accountable to individuals, to citizens. Uh, so we cleaned a bunch of that up. It was the very first thing we did after I think three weeks of being sworn into cabinet, a little bit of a wild time. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, it was really important to us that we restored integrity to the democratic system. Okay, um, Frank. Uh, Trevor Page. Minister, you didn't mention two of the most contentious issues facing Alberta at this time in your presentation, the Trans Mountain Pipeline and the mounting fiscal deficit. I wonder if you could tell us where we stand on both of those issues. Absolutely. So uh, I, what has taken up a lot of uh, real estate in the headlines for sure, and certainly a lot of bandwidth around our cabinet and caucus tables, uh, is this question of tidewater access uh, for uh, our uh, oil and gas products. And certainly um, this is something that is a top priority uh, uh, for uh, Rachel Notley and certainly has uh, uh, taken up a lot of my time as well as one of the members on the Market Access Task Force, one of the, the ministers serving there. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say that uh, uh, late August was, was not great for Albertans. One day, uh, uh, people were, uh, construction workers were at work on the Trans Mountain Pipeline, then a federal court decision uh, uh, came down, and the next day they didn't go to work. Uh, and that, was, uh, uh, that affected hundreds of people on one day. In, in, in a 24-hour period, and was uh, 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 very, very challenging. What we immediately got to work doing was ensuring uh, that we understood very well the parameters of what, uh, how the federal government should respond. 
uh, and made sure that we were in their face immediately so that they could not walk away from this uh, uh, proposal. It, it was harder for them to walk away, there's no question, because they had purchased the pipeline uh, as something that we had uh, uh, prevailed upon them to do earlier this year uh, uh, in response to uh, 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 investors becoming shaky because of the nonsense that was going on in BC. So the federal government, yes, they have 4.3 billion reasons uh, to get that pipeline built, and that's a good thing uh, because we can extract some accountability out of them uh, and uh, make sure that they adhere to strict timelines. Uh, uh, what Premier Notley then did was laid out a number of uh, uh, paths that the federal government uh, uh, could take. Uh, uh, we've had some productive and some more frustrating conversations, I think, with them, it's fair to say, uh, on that. Uh, but uh, uh, our focus since then has been on, on, on uh, ensuring that they keep to their timelines around two things. The expedited uh, extra national energy board process uh, that the court asked for uh, to consider marine safety. Inexplicably, Stephen Harper's government scoped out marine safety in terms of the initial NEB review. And that made no sense whatsoever, but it was another example for Canadians of the Harper government trying to cut corners uh, through a pipeline process that led on a road to nowhere. Uh, I, just for comparison, uh, through the Northern Gateway uh, uh, process, marine safety had been scoped in. So they, the, the federal government had some work to do there uh, due to policy decisions that had been made some years prior. Uh, and that work is, is underway and is, uh, uh, as we understand it, still on track. That's a good thing. Uh, there is another piece of work uh, uh, that uh, the federal court found wanting in terms of the federal government's extra process when, uh, when the Trudeau government first came in uh, to ensure the success of Trans Mountain. And that was around the Aboriginal consultation uh, uh, issue. Now that one, uh, as we understand it, is, uh, is proceeding apace. It, uh, it, it is far more difficult to assign timelines to it because then you uh, come into a, a world where uh, uh, you end up with judicial review of, of those uh, 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 decisions and that's not a world we want to be in. We want to make sure that uh, the Indigenous consultation proceeds in a way that is uh, appropriate and respectful. Uh, by all indications, it is going well. Uh, I'm sure that there are some uh, uh, sticky spots and some burrs in the saddle. Having said that, uh, uh, our focus then has been first, make sure that we get good commitments out of the feds in terms of timelines. And then uh, otherwise is, is to make sure that uh, that federal government is facing a public of Canadians that support this project. And we've been working very, very hard on that. Premier Notley's been out uh, uh, speaking across the country. Uh, we have done advertising campaigns across the, the country. We have turned public opinion, uh, not only in British Columbia, but everywhere except Quebec, whatever they're doing their own thing. Uh, and uh, uh, to the point where Canadians now understand, uh, not to the level that Albertans do, but in terms of a plurality of Canadians and a majority of Canadians understand the urgency of getting the, uh, uh, this pipeline built and its value, uh, not just to Albertans, but to all Canadians. And I think that's a really important place for us to be in terms of ensuring that uh, uh, we can get this thing uh, uh, over the line. I expect uh, uh, that uh, these extra processes will uh, uh, reach their conclusion uh, over the summer and the fall and we will return uh, uh, to construction uh, at that time. Uh, that's, it's hard to say uh, uh, right now uh, because we still have some processes that are nearing their conclusion. Uh, uh, having said that, uh, uh, the signs are positive. 
Uh, that's not to say things couldn't change tomorrow. They, they did change within 24 hours at the end of August, and that was a bad thing. Uh, but uh, uh, we're, we're making sure that we get this right. It's, it's, there's not a whole lot that the Alberta government can do other than communicate, which is a really big part of this and something that, that Rachel Notley has been uniquely positioned to do. Uh, to build that consensus across the country, to, uh, to ensure that, that Canadians understand that it's, yes, it's oil and gas, but it is also uh, uh, making sure that we have a resilient economy in the 21st century. Uh, the other question was around uh, uh, the fiscal picture. So certainly one of the reasons why we took the action that we did uh, around curtailment earlier this year, uh, and one of the reasons why we uh, have been such enthusiastic proponents of Tidewater Access is because Albert the Alberta economy in terms of our revenues is, re is missing out uh, on a number of revenues that uh, could go towards the things we all care about, like healthcare and education. Uh, certainly that is the case. Uh, uh, having said that, uh, we are now emerging from one of the worst recessions uh, that we've ever seen uh, in this province with some pretty strong fundamentals. We have the lowest debt to GDP uh, uh, ratio in the country. We have an $11 billion tax advantage over the next highest taxed uh, 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 jurisdiction. We have, uh, uh, the deficit is coming down every single uh, uh, quarter. Um, and uh, our, our economic growth <laughs> metrics are all good. Uh, three years in a row of leading the country in economic growth. Uh, job growth that is uh, uh, now rebounding, uh, about 100,000 jobs uh, uh, created, and so on. Uh, so I fully expect uh, uh, that uh, what you will see from this province, uh, or from this Premier, is a commitment uh, uh, and a path to balance of balancing the books by 2023. Mr. Kenny, by contrast, has indicated that 2022 is his uh, uh, preferred uh, time to do that. Uh, uh, he, will, uh, he has made the commitment to uh, a balanced budget earlier while also cutting revenues by $700 million uh, to deliver a tax cut to millionaires uh, and uh, uh, variously touching on what uh, might happen to the healthcare and education budgets. Uh, uh, having sat on Treasury Board for almost four years, I will reliably report to you that there are no unicorns on the uh, balance sheet. Everything is a trade-off. Uh, and uh, uh, the trade-off that we chose was to put this province back on sound economic fundamentals and to ensure that, that Albertans had the services they needed, uh, especially when times were toughest. The last thing we wanted to do when oil was $28 a barrel in, in January of 2016, and many of us were sitting around that table holding our head in our hands, wondering how much worse it could get for our communities, for our bottom line, for all of it. The last thing we needed to do was take a household where perhaps uh, the male breadwinner had lost his job in the oil patch and also fired his wife who was a nurse or a teacher. That is the last thing that we needed to do. We avoided a lot of suffering with the choices that we made in 15-16. I'm proud of that. Uh, now it needs to be a recovery that lasts uh, uh, by uh, investing where it is most needed uh, and diversifying the economy where uh, the strengths are best. Okay, we're going to allow the last two questions. Um, if the questions could be kept brief, as well as the answers. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'll and do you my 35 best. seconds in question period. I've got to make up for it here. Okay. <laughs> Douglas Mitchell, just thank you for your presentation. Uh, I'm a little bit 
concerned, though, as a member of not one of the two parties that are going to contest this election, as you say, uh, and uh, remember that there are other parties in this uh, constituency, and uh, we will vote as our heart tells us to vote. One of the two parties you mentioned, I will not vote for, <laughs> never. Um, and I was going to ask a question about fiscal, but uh, that's been done. Um, I read in the, in the Globe this morning that there is an Aboriginal group that are going to take up, possibly, uh, some of the costs of uh, taking over the uh, uh, Trans Mountain Pipeline. And uh, th that brings me to this whole question of the Aboriginal community. And I realize that their relationship is more with the federal and the provincial government. But I would like to hear from you what you feel about them. Because I've been to a meeting recently, and they're very progressive in their plans locally. And how do okay, you feel about that? Okay, can we just, um, yeah. Sure. Uh, so, um, uh, Bobby's asked me for a quick answer uh, to a question about 200 years of uh, colonialism. So, okay, uh, <laughs> let's see how fast we can do this. Uh, yes, uh, there is, uh, the Indian Resource Council is looking at uh, uh, a purchase of some uh, equity stake uh, in, in Trans Mountain. Uh, uh, those conversations are ongoing. I think they are facilitated by the fact that the federal government owns this thing and, and they always bought it. Uh, uh, when the finance minister went out and talked about the details of how they were going to purchase that pipeline with the idea of once it's through the regulatory process, uh, uh, selling it again. And so there are a number of different uh, uh, private and other in interests who are looking at uh, uh, those opportunities there, including uh, that group. Uh, and uh, 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 so that's, that is good. Um, and uh, certainly I think that the, uh, the 21st century economy shouldn't look like the old economy. Uh, and uh, one of the key ways of that is that Indigenous people are, are, are equity partners, are, are uh, uh, business partners, uh, and uh, uh, are creating jobs and have the same opportunities as, as we have all enjoyed in this great country. Um, as uh, uh, for the issue of Indigenous relations, uh, I, I, I call it the big crown. Yes, you're right. The feds have a, a, a big relationship there. Uh, but we, us little crown. Uh, have a lot of work to do as well. I, I, uh, uh, people would probably be astonished at how much of my time uh, is spent uh, on Indigenous issues of various kinds across the, uh, across the province. Uh, uh, many of the issues that are long-standing and uh, that weren't addressed down to people not getting letters uh, returned uh, uh, were, uh, have to do with environment and parks files. Um, so I'll just give you a few of the things that we've done. Uh, we've invested in Indigenous language education. We've uh, invested $100 million in bringing drinking water uh, up to reserve's edge. Feds have to do the rest, but uh, we've done our part. Uh, we've invested in uh, bringing rural and northern communities who are generating electricity off diesel, uh, off diesel, uh, uh, making them more resilient and doing some community uh, uh, electricity generation there. Uh, I, I've uh, executed the first memorandum of understanding on coal management uh, of parks in the castle with Bikani. Uh, and so that will be the first place in Alberta history where that uh, uh, is taking place. Uh, further co-management conversations are happening. Um, there are a number of uh, other different initiatives out of my shop alone. Uh, that's just some of them, uh, things around in Indigenous uh, uh, childcare, child welfare, healthcare, uh, education. The road is long on these issues and it is bumpy and uh, 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 reconciliation is going to take time. It took us time to get into the situation of inequality 
and social exclusion and all of the other uh, uh, pieces that uh, we know are still uh, uh, incredibly important problems to solve. Uh, it took us time to get here. It'll take us time uh, uh, to get out. Uh, the question is whether you're going to have a government that engages uh, respectfully in these matters and substantively, it's not just chit-chat, uh, or not. Hello, Shannon. My name is Barry Rosenfeld. I'm a member of the Alberta Wilderness Association. Can you separate the information from the misinformation of the Bighorn Country proposal? Sure. Uh, Bighorn contains, uh, like uh, uh, Lockheed put uh, before the people of Alberta 40 years ago for Kananaska's country, Bighorn contains a mix of land use uh, uh, designations to address a couple of fundamental issues on the landscape. One, uh, that uh, uh, that area in particular, uh, there is a good opportunity for conservation given the state of industrial activity in the areas that are are uh, proposed as parks, that is to say there is not much, uh, and there hasn't been for some time, guided by the 1984 Eastern Slopes policy, it's not a new Democrat decision for that. Uh, uh, the, uh, uh, there are some uh, economic development and tourism opportunities that have been identified in and around Nordegg and in other areas using existing footprint, outfitters, small businesses and others who see some, uh, very nice possibilities with some protected areas where they can uh, uh, ensure uh, uh, appropriate access to uh, appropriately structured recreation facilities and so on. Uh, there I'm talking about basic things like campgrounds, provincial recreation areas, uh, uh, some cross-country ski trails, that sort of thing. Uh, it's about 500,000 hectares under consideration for the mix of land use designations. Uh, I compare that to Castle, which was about 114, I want to say. So it's a much larger uh, chunk of the province, and that's why there's a mix of land use. So the further west you go, the higher level of conservation uh, uh, you'll end up with. Uh, and so Wildland Park, in that space between Jasper and Banff, uh, you only have to have you know eyes and ears open to know that Jasper and Banff are busting at the seams, and so is Kananaskis uh, in terms of visitation. Uh, that's why Lougheed made Kananaskis 40 years ago, because Banff was busting at the seams, is one of the reasons. Uh, uh, and so, uh, uh, when you add a million people to the province, uh, they're all going outside anyway. We need to make sure that we are supporting those activities to, to uh, uh, ensure that uh, uh, our landscape is there for us to enjoy. So that's the first thing uh, around the wildland park designation and a couple of the, and the provincial parks. And then there's a public land use zone, which uh, has nothing to do with industry. Uh, so it's, it's under the Public Lands Act. It's a proposed public land use zone uh, in the West Country, and that's further, I guess, east, right, uh, uh, from, the, uh, uh, from the mountains. There's been a lot of misinformation about what a plus is and is not, uh, public land use zone. It only governs recreation. Basically, the previous government put this designation in place because you had a situation where recreation was bumping up against forestry and oil and gas in a number of different places uh, on just what we call vacant public land, not so vacant. Uh, and uh, so it's a proposal to put a public land use zone in there because then you have some planning tools with the local people to say, you know, uh, a bridge here but not there and the industry will say okay I don't want a trail there because it rips up my pipeline or whatever the case may be because um, there's a lot of things going on in that particular uh, uh, part of the province and there's no uh, uh, intention to change that uh, it's just a recreation planning tool that's what people uh, seem to be the most exercised about because they've been told that it is something that it is not uh, that is unfortunate uh, and, uh, you know, it, it, we didn't have to put this public land use zone on the table. The municipalities asked us for it. 
uh, Clearwater Trails Initiative, which is you know uh, motorized and other uh, uh, local groups um, asked us for this thing. And I have a letter from in August that they asked for it. Uh, the Regional Advisory Council recommended it. That was previous government's Regional Advisory Council. Uh, uh, so um, there's been a lot of lightning in the sky around that. Uh, and uh, uh, you know we can look at ways that we can tweak those boundaries or, or not do a public land use zone at all. Uh, if people just want uh, uh, anarchy out there, um, then uh, that's an option open uh, to that area. I don't think they think what they think they think. Uh, in terms of that, I think that what people want uh, in the main, motorized, non-motorized, is to protect nature. That's what, people, that's what Albertans want us to do. Uh, and uh, make sure that we've got places to go where it's appropriate to have people, not where it's not appropriate to have people, just straight up. That's what my job sometimes comes down to. Thank you.